Hey, it's Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doc. Thanks for joining me on my podcast, Tell Me Something Good About Retail, where I interview some of the best entrepreneurs and retailers and people who deal with retail in a new and exciting podcast format each week. So join me live here, or you can also find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. Let's get going. Today, I'm talking with Becky Tyre, founder and editor of the Retail Details blog, and she's a contributing editor at Gifts and Decorative Accessories magazine. She's a shop local advocate and specializes in visual merchandising. I know you'll get a lot out of listening to her thoughts. I got into retail, actually, right as I was getting ready to go away to college. It was a part-time job. And I um, started with um, Burdines, which became Macy's, part of Federated Department Stores. So I started in corporate and um, started on the sales floor and then moved into corporate and into training. I was okay. a college student and I worked with, um, with the juniors department and then trained um, some of the young associates that would um, work within that department. Back then, they had associates that would go around and approved checks. Remember when people wrote checks? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I do and point, remember that. Point of sale systems. And um, there was a training room upstairs. Right. Um, later on when I went after college, when I went back to work for the same company, believe it or not, in another town after I got married, um, worked for um, for Burdines again in Florida and another, um, another location um, as their training manager had a, a, a great big office upstairs and, and a room where we trained people and they would come in and learn to use a cash register and um, a, what we would now call a point of sale system. About three days training and then it would be like a half day on the floor in whatever department they were training in and um, and half day in the classroom. Yeah, but I mean, it was serious business. You had to like pass that before you could go out, right? They you didn't did. say like, here you go. Absolutely. And then there were separate trainings then for, like I said, those people who would come around to the registers and approve when someone wrote a check or approve returns right. and, um, and that sort of thing. It was a very different world. Yeah. And back then we had to look up the uh, credit cards in a little, uh, a, a little uh, book. Remember that you had to find out if the credit card was good. Yes. That was uh, dating myself. Uh, <laughs> there and so you you were a training manager for Filene excuse me for uh, Burdines uh, yes it was Burdines Florida. Which, um, yes part of Federated Department Stores later became Macy's in Florida which it is still Macy's at this point and then how did you get to be the infamous Becky Tire with retail details I went into independent retail and um, and then started working with independent retailers after that. Pretty much, Bob, I've only ever worked in retail with one exception when I took a foray side job in politics, which happens to be the only other thing that I'm passionate about other than family and friends, I guess. <laughs> wow. What's been like your biggest challenge, do you think, in the in because you're like me, you had to build a, a brand, right? I mean, let's face it, unless you I always say unless I charge for it, you're just another guy with an opinion. Exactly. Yes. Um, it happened rather organically because I just happened to have, you know, a love for, for independent retail. And um, as I started, mine started more through writing than, than your route, mm. probably with your, your speaking, than through visiting stores, mostly to interview store owners um, for, for magazine articles. Um, then I would find people who needed assistance that would then 
hire me or maybe their downtown association would hire me uh-huh. and I would meet other stores, um, other store owners through that and things would grow and then um, kind of became not, I wouldn't say a cult following, but a, you know, a fairly large following on social media. And, um, and then it, became- well, hold on a second, everybody, you should follow retail details. I don't know how Becky comes up with like hundreds of pictures a week. I, I like to think of myself as a pretty social media um, uh, savvy guy, but my goodness, you always have these ama- amazing displays that you curate from around the world. I do. People send them to me. I mean, I can't certainly can't take credit for taking all of them myself. Um, I also just quite frankly find them and repost others and give credit to them, of course. Yeah, but you have the eye for it. I mean, that's where I'm going, that I think you teach by showing those. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And my tagline is stay display inspired. So the whole idea is to inspire others through sharing others mm. work and um, and to inspire people to to create beautiful spaces in their stores and present their merchandise beautifully so that they can sell more. Um, and then I travel around a lot through my writing assignments or my sure. speaking engagements so that I'm able to photograph those. And as you know, my husband travels with me and, and does a lot of the photography as well. So we do what we call retail road trips and we get a lot of photographs there. And then people send them to me via private message or email every day. I get, um, you know, a spattering or, or, or dozens yeah, nice. in my email too. So, um, um, you know, to that point, one of, my, one of my pet peeves with independent retailers is clutter. I don't know why it's acceptable to walk into uh, smaller stores and it just looks junky. Do you, do you have any tips of somebody? I mean, I think you would share that with me. Yes. Or. Absolutely. And I have one tip where I try to help them realize that they have clutter and one way that I address it with them. And it's one way that I try not to hurt their feelings um, is to help them to get it on Instagram. And I say, when you're looking on Instagram, no one wants to see this much big Mm. so we want to find a pocket of your store that is instagrammable and then you want to make enough of these pockets in your store so we're going to find something in the store that we can find here then we can make a beautiful little instagrammable pocket and then i want enough of your store to look like that pocket i love that idea that is a that's a great way to do retailers end up with so much clutter is it because we don't know our numbers is it because we just like buying what we like what what do you think part of it is that they have purchased too much and part of it is that they don't know how to merchandise it Mm. um because it's it's not always the clutter is not always from having too much sometimes it's just arranged incorrectly Mm. um or having the wrong fixtures you know sometimes it's a visual merchandising problem and sometimes it's an over purchasing problem so it's you know there's it, and sometimes it's both. Well, you mentioned so. something when we were talking I think on my live stream a few months ago about, um, you know, the dangers of buying what you like. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, when I go into stores, um, you know, whether it's on a, a, a paid gig or whether I'm just visiting, um, let's just say that I'm just visiting a store. Okay. And, and they want a, a bit of advice, which I have no problem giving. And they go, oh, you know, you're a, a retail designer or whatever. And, and maybe they think that I'm going to present as though an interior designer would come in and say, your store should tell the story of who you are and be a collection of what you love. And this is what they want me to say, right? right. I think we've had this discussion. <laughs> um, and no, your store may tell a story of who you are or represent 
represent the store owner to a certain extent, but that store needs to be a collection of what your customers want to buy and, um, and what you can present to make a living with a profit margin. Which so means that you up. better, yes, you better know that customer, what she needs in her life, exactly. not what you bought because it was cute and you liked the rep when you were traveling to the Javits Center or Vegas one time. Absolutely. And the collection needs to be what your customers are going to purchase. And, um, and hopefully the retailers that are being successful these days <clears throat> are putting enough effort into um, listening to their customers and knowing their customers and doing their research. And, um, and that's not to say that they're not getting valid information from good sales reps because there are, sure. you know, there are some that have, have that information. Well, and I think merchandising has changed. Um, it certainly seems particularly in apparel that, um, you know, it used to be fold everything neat and, and tidy and uh, look like it's somebody's closet. And I think uh, nowadays you want to show the, um, the jeans display is a little messed up or hanging on a hook or the blouses are not all perfectly done because it comes off sterile. Would you agree with that? Or Absolutely. Yeah, I think. And that's one of those things that just kind of runs in trends sometimes, too. Um, depending on whose look you're going for, if the, mm. the anthropology look is what's in style versus the, the gap look or, you know, whatever the, the latest trend there is. The gaps um, look is what's on sale for 40% off again this weekend only. Don't come by <laughs> next weekend when it's also 40% off, right? Yeah, I guess that's, so. That's their strategy. That's me. See, that's where you're different. See, you're empowering to everybody. I'm a little bit more blunt. So Becky, uh, I think it makes a good team. That's okay. You know, we would, we would make a wonderful team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think the best advice you've ever received has been? The best what advice I've ever received um, to be authentic. Hmm. I think that's, I think that's great. I think that's something that, uh, you know, as a writer for me, I think I was just like most writers and you somehow are writing for that third grade teacher that you're, you know, you're doing all of these things and it comes off false and people don't really want to follow it. And I think retail uh, is that same way. And and certainly in your writing, I think that you've, uh, have you had a struggle with when you started out with being authentic or do you think retailers have a trouble with that or? I think quite honestly, it's much easier at the age I'm at now than it was when I was 30. And when I was 30 and everything was either um, building my resume or juggling a young family or, you know, there was so much else going on that I almost feel hypocritical in saying it. Oh, be authentic. And, you know, maybe it's easier just because I'm at an age where you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's some, some to be truth to that, but that, that authenticity, I think, is something that, particularly in retail, um, you know, it seems like retail is moving from the big box to the boutique. And the boutique is the place that people are winning uh, and losing customers because with a very curated product line, a very curated story, it's easy for, uh, I think, for shoppers to get it and either say, that's me or it's not. Just like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop or Reese Witherspoon and... Uh, Draper James. In there you go. If, if, if you can get it quickly and you say, that's me, then I think you run into that, that rarefied space where Vera Bradley lived for 20 years, right? Which was very exclusive. It was a very tight organization. It was very hard to find. But when you found it, you wanted everything. Right. And I think that's what, what most 
retailers were trying to do. But I think when we try to be everything to everybody, we get in trouble. Have right. you found that? Yes. And you know what I'm finding um, in that in this discussion, um, the independents are looking for this. And very specifically, I would say in 2018, um, this conversation has come up quite a bit with independents even that have only a single store that are looking to um, this whole private label and this branding um, at, the, at the smaller level and wanting to have um, their own brand in their store or very specific things in their store that are not located, that are, are not available at any of their competition. And by competition, I mean down the street or in their same town or online, you know, at all of their competition. Um, for instance, um, Whitney, who you, Whitney from Collage oh, sure. in Pennsylvania that you had on your podcast a few months ago, um, I mean, a few weeks ago, excuse me. She works with a local pottery studio or ceramic studio in her town to produce something that says York, Pennsylvania with a hashtag first cap or first capital because York was the first capital. And that's something that is only available in her store. So she has curated, which I'm not always thrilled with that word, but in her right. case, it is truly curated for her store. She has created a collaboration with a local maker that item is only available in her store. And because she's able to find, um, find someone who can make that at a price point that she's able to negotiate yeah. and have something unique in her store. And one thing that I'm helping retailers to realize that they can find these things, um, find these makers that can produce these items. And I'm not sure that the vendors are getting this information out there um, that this is available because I think the retailers are afraid that the minimums are too high and or that the margins aren't there, that they don't realize that there are actually some fairly major candle companies and stationery companies and chocolate companies that you can have your candy bar with your, yeah. it, it may be your logo or your your store name or your tagline or, or your town um, sign companies, you know, welcome to um, the Catskills or, or wherever. Um, it's, it's a big trend right now with um, this whole location-based thing, whether Very it's much for so. upscale souvenirs and for local pride, um, yes. that people are buying these things. This is a way that local retailers are able to distinguish themselves from, from competitors and, and actually have a competitive edge. That's a great so, point. So do encourage think, them to collaborate with with local makers or national national companies. Um, find some margins that work and, and have things that are different. Yes, that is the key. I, and this is different than private label. Like I'm doing this to be cheaper. Like uh, I want to go to a manufacturer and just do the same thing. Private label would be cheaper. That's not what we're talking about because still, uh, you know, the days aren't very far from now, Becky, where you'll be able to take a picture of something and uh you know amazon or google or whoever is going to analyze it and be able to say here it is absolutely and, um that idea that private label also gives you more margins because that's where i think we're seeing um store struggle with the idea that you know 80 percent of the merchandise with you is with your competitor down the street and i always you know on my facebook live videos on thursday mornings invariably every other month somebody will say what do i do with my you know i built this brand with my sales rep but now it's available across the street for less and what should i do and there's always that that temptation to say well pull the brand and screw them but right. you know sometimes that cuts your nose off to spite your face what would you tell someone like that i would 
see if the brands or find other brands I would, or I would find brands that you can put your own label on. And so you would say if that's the case, then um, if someone's beating you on price, then you really need to look at that partnership because a good brand, I would think, wouldn't see that um, would see that and say, OK, well, we don't want to do that with you. So we won't sell the exact same items across the street. Would you agree? Yes. OK. Good. But there are, though, I also encourage them to just find other brands. Yeah, good, good. You know, and I think we're all moving to this, we're moving back, at least in the States, to more of a pilgrim's uh, look at commerce where the individual storekeeper just needs to have that one store in the location. And that's the one store they want. They don't have to be the next Starbucks or their coffee house. They don't have to grow the brand and suddenly become like urban outfitters. They can just be this one brand in downtown LA, and that's who they are, and they know it, and they execute it brilliantly. And they do a great job and that's it. And I think that that is going to be the way forward that you don't have to have all these outside pressures and try to be in multiple uh, regions where you have no business knowing who your customer is. Someone else knows better. In most cases, what we're hearing at the independent retail level is that people want to interact with the owner of the store and the owner of the store can in most cases, well, in all cases, only be in one store at a time. Great so point. this multiple store concept changes everything it's yeah. not to say that there aren't successful there's many successful multiple sure. stores but if you're going to have one store or you're going to have three or more you're going to run them completely differently then it's a completely different animal very true i always say that second store is the march is the key i don't care if you can execute one but to have the systems in place where you are not the brand is really hard because to your point most people do know uh, um the owner and they feel like they had a stake in getting you going and they feel kind of neglected when they don't see you or at least feel that presence. So I, I certainly, uh, I think that makes a, a, an excellent point. Um, what's your concept of customer service and what would it take for it to be excellent for you in a retail store? You need to be approached immediately. You know, we could argue for hours what that approach is. <laughs> Mine is right. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is right. There you but go. There are many theories out there. Yes. And uh, yes, and we've all stood up in front of groups or, right. or sat in audiences and heard many, many variations and walked in stores and heard many variations. Um, so, yes, um, but be approached and then product knowledge and have the stories told. What does that mean, have the stories told? Have the stories of the products told. I want to know why, why, why did you buy this? If you're, I mean, as a store owner or the buyer, I want to know why, why is this product in the store? What does it do? Why do I need it? Um, why does it cost this much? Why does it go with this? Why is it sitting on this table with these other products? And who's it for? And why should I buy it? And why do I need more than one of them? And I mean, sell it to me. Those are excellent points. I hope everyone just plays that back because that's the mark for me that you can answer those questions particularly about why is it here and why do I need one of them or why do I need more than, than one of them? And all of those points, when you buy something, you need to know that. And if you're in a larger store and you're listening to this and you're a sales associate, you need to know those answers, not because someone is going to quiz you on it and you get a raise of 10 cents. That's not it. But when you know all of that, suddenly it's your store. That's the way I always like to think of it when I was selling cowboy clothes and some other things. It's my store. And um, that gave me great pride to be able to share that. I think that too many retailers assume that employees will just get it and they don't. Would you agree? 
Absolutely, but it's not just the customer service of the verbal and the, the sales associates too, the visual merchandising of it. Some of what I just said has to be conveyed visually and not just verbally. Well, that's, that's why you're brilliant, because exactly, it's, it's all the senses. Uh, my personal uh, thing with gift stores is why did everybody think that having all of the candles burning that were scents uh, was smart merchandising? Because it gives me a headache and I can't smell one of them. And I just walk out like, wow, that you blew that. So, you, you know, be careful what you're, again, what are you trying to get across, right? If you're going to have a pumpkin spice candle for the holidays, is that because a lot of people, once they smell it, buy it? Or is it just because you like it? Because it could very easily be a turnoff or vice versa. It's such a great smell that everybody who smells it seems to buy one or we can upsell it and that's it. And that's our brand. But you have to know that about your customer. And what would you tell a friend looking to go into retail? She's been a teacher all of her life and her and her daughter have this idea. They're going to open a, I don't know, a pet salon or a pet store because they've always wanted to work with, they love pets so much. What would you tell your friend about well, the retail? Well, the red flag went up when you said her and her daughter, because <laughs> we're going to have that discussion first. <laughs> and we're going to be very frank about how family businesses work. I'm not in business with a family member, so I can can say this um just a very frank discussion and talk about some instances no you can't stop there uh, for, what does a frank discussion include about they need to look very frankly at their family and see if if that can work because it's very difficult and um i would agree when things go wrong yeah. would you be willing to fire your mother exactly and it happens and i would be more than happy to connect them i, I do a lot of connecting people bob yeah, I'd be that. more than happy to connect them with people that they can. I can connect them with that have had good experiences and bad, and that's I'll just connect you and you just chat away, and make your decision based on some some hard data here. That I mean, not hard data, but some um, sure some personal experiences. Okay, and then okay, fine. Then you make your decision and you move forward or not. Um, the other advice, once we get past that that family issue that you threw there in your little. I thought you'd slip that in there, didn't you? I did. Um, <laughs> the next thing I tell anyone if they're talking about opening a store um, is three words. Retail is lonely. Because mm -hmm. they do not realize this until they open a store. So I, I just try to, and it, it's very hard to convey to someone how lonely that's going to be. So I do encourage retailers to reach out to each other. And I've I've noticed, you know, like on your on your Thursday Facebook lives that you do, I'm sure that you have retailers on there that comment every week that kind of know each other. Yes. Because they've probably networked with each other from that. Um, there's other Facebook groups, you know, private groups and things where people probably know each other. Right. And may or may not communicate outside of social media. I want to bring you back to that lonely idea because I think that's what leads so many independent retailers to to fall into the trap of making your employees your friends. Yes. Which is just as bad as going into business with a, with a, business, with your, a family member, right? I mean, right. Um, they aren't your friends because you have to be able to fire them and reprimand and hold accountable and goad them and train them and encourage them. Um, and that's very different when you are paying somebody. Right. You would expect an ROI. That's true. And, and yet, on the flip side of that, you do have to have a certain trust level and bring them in 
Um, and that's where a, a very strong business ethic and ethos comes in, um, where hopefully someone who starts a store has some business training and, and knows where to draw the line with, yeah. um, with those trust levels and where to bring in. And I think job descriptions are important, and I always encourage encourage um, store owners to have job descriptions, even in very small stores, so that their store manager or their even if even if they don't have, well, I mean they do have titles, but even if they don't have a, a, a huge hierarchy, that everyone has assignments and yeah. and somewhat of a job description at least, so that um, it's it's defined who who is in on what parts. And what you do and you don't do to work for me. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. we're coming to the end of our time here. Uh, I always have to add and asking about um, the name of my podcast. So tell me something good about retail. My favorite thing about retail lately, Bob, is what I'm seeing in the collaborations. You know, I alluded to it earlier um, that I see retailers reaching out. Like at the trade shows this summer, I think I saw retailers that were as much looking for sourcing for ideas as much as specific products. Um, a little less whining and a little more, I think I can do this. Good. Some well, hopeful feelings um, and probably some people that are going to go ahead after Christmas and close up shop because yeah. they're not hopeful. And that's yeah. okay. And that's, you know, that's okay. Well, I think um, there's a third wave of retailers coming in. I think there's some young people nipping at uh, some more established retailers' uh, heels. They know their numbers. They know social media. They might have an online store. They're going to open a brick and mortar store and they're going to start off at such a higher level of engagement and passion that um, we're going to keep talking about a re retail renaissance, I think, in an awful lot of areas. Absolutely. And I think they're going to be very engaged in their communities, and I'm really excited about that. Nice. Well, good. Well, tell me, how do we get in touch? How do we find out about you and retail details? Well, you can always find me on Instagram. This happens to be my favorite platform, at least um, for now, um, at Retail Details. And um, Retail Details blog on Facebook and um, retaildetailsblog.com to read my blog. And click on any of those. You can click on the email link and send me an email. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. Please share the love and tell your friends to subscribe as I engage retailers to share their tips for growing your retail business. Find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. While you're there, you can find a transcript of this podcast. You can send an email to me at bob at retaildoc.com to tell me what you thought of this episode. And or you can leave a comment and share your experience right here as it relates to what we were talking about today. Again, I hope you'll tune in for another episode and good selling. <laughs>